But uh, Rob has asked me to set the scene before the reading. So the reading, if you want to look in your Bible, is 2 Kings, 7, uh, 2 Kings chapter 7, 3 to 11. So you can be looking it up as I set the scene for you. Okay. So we, we're in the northern kingdom of Israel. So up in the north, in its capital, Samaria. It's probably hot. It was probably always hot. And they're under siege, not for the first time, but they're under siege, this time from the Syrians and Ben-Hadad, king of Aram. The city is cut off, it's besieged, it's cut off and has been for some time. Food is running out, prices are soaring and even cannibalism has started. A terrible situation. And at the gate, in a Lazar camp, Rob tells me this is a piece of land, set aside for lepers to be outside the city. And we have four men sitting together, the main characters of this drama. So, 2 Kings chapter 7 from verse 3, hopefully the words will appear. So now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say, we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused all the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. And this is the word of God. And I just invite Rob uh, and as he comes up, I'll pray for him. Lord, we are truly blessed to have Rob with us as a, as a person with gifts that you have bestowed upon him, the gifts of teaching, the gifts of sharing your word, Lord. And I just pray that as we delve into your word, Lord, the, the word that you breathed out to be shared with us, that Lord can bring, Lord, that you can help Rob bring the important message, the important instruction, the important application that you wish us to to bring into our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And Mark, on behalf of, I think, all of us, we wish you well as you continue with your biblical studies. Those who don't know, Mark was away this past week at Bible College in Wales, an intensive week of study in the scriptures and theology, and uh, we wish you well with that. I know you've got six rather demanding essays to write over the next six months, and uh, we wish you well with that. And I promise you now, Mark, before the end of this year, we're going to have you up here, not just leading services, but preaching. Uh, you all agree with that, don't you? Yes. Bless you. We do want our church to grow. We want it to grow as more and more local people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And last week we looked at an, another Old Testament passage where we discovered that Isaiah has this wonderful call from the Lord to go and spread the news. In, in his day, it wasn't all that good news. It was, a, it was a message of judgment, but he responded to the call of God, and he went and he did God's bidding. And today we look at a second Old Testament passage. And then at the end, we'll look a little bit further as we look at some detailed, practical suggestions as to how we might indeed be those who share their faith. So let's look at this passage before us from 2 Kings chapter, chapter, three, chapter 7. I see six or seven things here, and I'm going to go through them quite quickly. First of all, I see a hopeless situation in verses 3 and 4. Then I see a supernatural solution to that in verses 5 to 7. Then I see a remarkable discovery in verse 8. Verse 9, the first part of verse 9, I see a sobering realization followed by a logical action, and finally a glorious outcome. We must remember that whenever we look at the Old Testament, any Old Testament passage, that these passages were not written to us, but they were written for us. So we have every right to study them and draw conclusions and applications from these kinds of passages. And this is one of those. So we start off with this hopeless situation that Mark has described for us. A city under siege, so badly under siege that it's at the point of absolute, complete destruction. They're beginning to eat one another. That's how bad it has become. And outside the city, they, the story comes down to these four men who had some kind of incurable, it would appear, contagious disease. Maybe it was leprosy. It could have been something quite similar. In those days, they weren't always able to say what one thing was. They all looked pretty much the same. But they've been cast out so that they don't spread their disease. And then in verse 4, we see the hopelessness of their situation. So keep that passage open. Listen to them as they express their hopelessness. You know, why stay here till we die? It's all about death. If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we'll die in the city. If we stay here, we'll die. If we go to the camp of the, of the Syrians, the Arameans, we're going to die. It's all about death. What a mess these guys are in. What a dilemma they have. What a mess their world was in. And I think sometimes we don't realize what a mess our world is in. Although I must say today, looking at the news and listening to everything, it's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer that we live in a world, not just in far distant places, but right here in Western Europe, in the US, in the UK, in Europe, we're under siege by the evil one. 
let alone the Islamic world and the, the godless parts of the world, the regimes of China and India and parts of South America. We talk about the world as being lost, but what do we mean when we say the world is lost? How is the world lost? Well, the UK, for one, has clearly lost its way. I don't think we know where we're going right now. We have denigrated the word of God to the scrap heap. We're looking to politics, to human reason, to empty science for the solution to all of our problems, and we're not finding them. And what is worse, that this is, only the, this is not the only problem, because this is only a temporal problem. This is only happening now in time. The greater problem is the eternal problem, the problem of how we spend eternity. And I have to ask you this this morning, because I, I need to do this. Do you still truly believe that the only destination for anyone not accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior is hell? Do we truly today believe in that? One of the saddest days of my recent Christian life was listening to Nicky Gumbel on, on television, the pastor of Holy Trinity Brampton. Great church, of, it had a wonderful ministry. And Nicky Gumbel saying he no longer believes in hell had to rewrite part of the Alpha course, take hell out of it. Do you believe in hell anymore? It's not politically correct to speak of hell anymore. We're told it's psychologically damaging to even think about hell, but it's real. If there is no hell, there's no accountability, no reckoning for all the awful things done by evil men in this life. There'll be no justice at all. No, I believe there is a hell simply because there has to be one. And indeed, the Bible says there is one. And it is hell my... Hell is where the evil ones want to go to. Sorry? Hell is where the evil ones want to go to. Yeah, I'll answer that question for you after the service, sir. I'll ask you not to interrupt while we're having this. I'll, I'll speak to you definitely. I won't miss you. Please catch hold of me. I'll have that word with you. I just need to ask you, as, as members of this church, as those on Zoom or here, if you, do you know for sure that if this were to be your final day on earth, that you would wake up tomorrow in heaven? It's a question that, as an occupier of this pulpit, I have to keep on asking. Do you know that if this were to be your final day on earth, that you would wake up tomorrow in heaven? Because if you don't wake up in heaven, you will wake up and you will consciously be outside of God's presence in a place of real personal suffering. Suffering such as you have never before experienced and will then experience it for eternity. And, and I can understand, I understand it today why people say, well, I don't really believe in hell anymore. I'm just going to disappear when I die. I understand that because that's not a pleasant thing to think about. But I ask you this, are you really sure you want to take that chance? What if you're wrong? What if there really is a hell? And I beg you then, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, that you repent of your sin today and do so. It's a hopeless situation. But out of a hopeless situation, as often happens, comes a supernatural solution. In this story, we discover something almost unbelievable. The enemy are not there anymore. This besieging enemy of the Arameans, the Syrians, are just not there anymore. They've left everything behind in their haste to escape. 
But escape from what? Why have they gone? And we see in verse 6 that God has supernaturally done something wonderful. He's invaded their ears with a sound of invading armies. Maybe it's the Hittites, maybe it's the Egyptians, but this, the sound of an invading army is in their ears. They can't see it, but they hear it, and they just leave everything, weapons, riches, everything, and they just flee. Remarkable. And it's remarkable how throughout history, hopeless situations are always solved by supernatural interventions. There's no other way to solve a hopeless situation. We need to understand that today the situation is frightening. We live in a frightening, scary, broken world. But there is a solution. And that solution can overshadow the bad news. Yes, there is a kind of hell here on earth. But there is hell for eternity. But God has made a way of escape. He has supernaturally defeated the powers of evil. Even though you might say, well, it doesn't really look like it, does it? I, my message to you this morning is that God has the evil one exactly where he wants him. Satan is allowed to throw his very worst at us, but God has created a way out. I'd just like to read a couple of verses here. I've got to put my glasses on to do it. In Romans chapter 6, if you want to turn there, you're welcome. Romans chapter 6, just listen to the victory of God's um, supernatural provision for us. Romans chapter 6, I'm looking at verse 9. Now, if we have died in Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Now listen to this. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. And this verse, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. God has provided us with a wonderful solution. In the death of Christ, we too can die to sin and, and live a new life. This is the wonderful supernatural uh, solution to the mess that we find ourselves in. And the, 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 uh, the lepers then get to this camp, and I can imagine them, it's, uh, they're approaching very uh, slowly, very fearfully, very cautiously, I should imagine, knowing that if they're caught, they're probably going to get either thrown out, that would be the best solution, probably killed. But what do they find? What do they find? This remarkable discovery in verse 8. They entered one of the tents and they ate and drank. They took silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. What a discovery. This certainly was not something they expected. They're expecting nothing more than death, or at the very least, some kind of rejection. But instead, they find a feast, and they find riches beyond imagination. Let me tell you this morning, without any hesitation at all, that God has prepared a wonderful feast for you and for me, and for all who call him Lord. You see, in this life, we only get to taste the starters, the first course in this life. 
The main course and the delicious desserts await us in glory. This is good news. This is remarkable news. This is wonderful news that we'll one day experience riches more than we could ever even imagine. We will inhabit a city made of the most precious metals and gems and we will eat at the table of the Lord at a banquet prepared for us. And every dish will be to our delight. We'll have no allergies or intolerances and there'll be no indigestion no matter how much you eat. You remember that chorus we used to sing way back in the 70s from Song of Solomon chapter 2? He brings me into his banqueting house. His banner over us is love. And in Revelation chapter 19, we read about this feast. Revelation 19 from verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then he added, these are the true words of God. There's a big supper, there's a big feast awaiting us. And we have the full description in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 of this wonderful place that we will one day inhabit. So that's terrific news. Forgiveness and empowerment now and unbelievable joy later and then forever. And then we come to a sobering realization. Here in the midst of all of this bounty, in the midst of all of this, this discovery that they have made, comes one of the most glorious gospel or missionary verses in all of scripture. And it's in the Old Testament in a rather obscure place. Look at verse, the first part of verse 9. They said to each other, what we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. Just listen to that just one more time. They said to each other, what we are doing is not right. We, this is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. They realized their selfishness and the fact that the answer to the city's horrible, awful situation is right here before them and they're keeping it to themselves. It is not right. You are here today praising God and enjoying all the wonderful fellowship that is available to God's people. And you may have a family member who is on the way to hell. And you're doing and saying nothing to prevent it. It is not right. You have good news. You have assurance of salvation in heaven. And yet you have a neighbor who does not know God at all and you're doing nothing about it. It's not right. This is a day of good news and you're keeping it to yourself. You enjoy your Christian music and the act of worship and praise, yet you have a colleague at work who has no idea what you're talking about. He's on his way to hell and you're saying nothing. It is not right. You enjoy reading the scriptures and enjoy God's blessing upon your life. And you have a good friend who is lost and not interested. 
but you don't want to harm that friendship, so you stay silent and say nothing about heaven and hell. What you are doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and you're keeping it to yourself. So what happens next? Well, there's something happens that is absolutely logical. Listen to this, in the second part of verse 9 and verse 10. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. They're feeling guilty. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. They realize they can't keep this all to themselves. They drop everything and run back to the city to break the good news. This is a logical deduction. There's nothing mysterious about it. And I would suggest today that it is simply logical to share good news. You always share good news, so do I. A new addition to the family, you share it. A son who graduates with honors at university, you share it. A daughter who gets engaged to a great guy, you share it. You land the job you always wanted, you share it. You share it. You wouldn't think of doing anything else. So why, I beg you, are we so reluctant to share the greatest news ever in history. The good news that sin can be forgiven, that death can be defeated, that the hell we deserve is not going to be our destination. That's good news. The logical thing to do is to share it. We don't need a special visitation from God to tell us that. We don't need a voice from a cloud. We don't need a vision or a special scripture to come hammering at us. It's just plain logical to share it. And finally, we have this glorious outcome, verse 11. The news is brought from the lepers to the gatekeepers, and the gatekeepers take it to the, the palace, and the king takes action, and the city is saved. The city is saved. Do we want to see the city of Staines saved? God, in his grace and mercy, can do this. He can bring salvation to men and women and children all across our town. He can, we must believe, that he can do this. But how is it going to happen? Is he going to write messages in the clouds uh, calling people to repentance? Is he going to drop all sorts of cosmic divine leaflets all over our city with a message? Is he going to send messages down the chimneys of our homes. No, he's not going to do it that way. We know that. But we do know he has a plan. And we know what that plan is. We know what that plan is. There's a story, and I don't think it's true, but it could be, of a time in shortly after the ascension of Christ, where all of the angels and all of the saints of the Old Testament are gathered around God's throne, and they say, all right, all right, God, now we've, 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 Christ has died, he's risen, we have this wonderful news of salvation to all men. How are you going to get this message out to the world, across the Roman Empire, and right across the world? What are you going to do? And God says to them, well, I've left it to the hands of 12 men. They're going to do it. 12 men to spread this wonderful news to the entire, yeah, yeah, just 12 men. But what if it doesn't work, God then I have no other plan. That's it. So as we read and study this remarkable story, and I could have spent so much more time on it, what can we really do to get going with sharing this good news?
I'd like to close off by giving you just a few very practical tips. The first thing I would challenge you to do is to make a list. Make a list of three or four or five names, no more than that. Maybe a family member is on that list, certainly is one of my list, on my list, a family member. A friend or an acquaintance, a neighbor, a work colleague, a fellow student, a client. Make a list of just a few names. Once you've done that, then start to prepare yourself for sharing the gospel with them. And it starts, it always starts with prayer. It always starts with asking God to work in your heart to open opportunities to give you the courage. It always starts there because we cannot do this in our own strength. If you've tried to do it, you've found out how often it's failed. You've, you've discovered that. So we really need to pray. And then we need to study. We need to study the scriptures. We need to commit to a regular, consistent, thorough reading and study of God's word. Particularly those passages that talk of the gospel. John chapter 3, parts of the book of Romans. Study it and, do, and read widely about what's going on in the world. Watch your television news. Read your newspapers and get a picture of what's going on. Because inevitably, when you share the gospel with somebody, you can't, you can't separate it from life in the world today. So keep studying. And then the most important thing, I think, is this. When you witness, do it within the context of the fellowship around you. We were never meant to be witnesses like a, a little light in the darkness and there's nobody else there. It's just us witnessing in the dark. No, we've got fellowship together. We do this together. We've got home groups where you can share this together. We support and pray for one another. Imagine this happening in a home group. I challenge you home group leaders with this. To have a weekly evangelism report back. Who have I been witnessing to this week? How's it been going? How can we pray and support you? Maybe do that occasionally in, in place of the weekly session of our moans and groans about our aches and pains and problems. A weekly evangelism report back. And then we get stuck in. Witnessing to people means being a genuine friend and caring for folk. It's being a good neighbor. Denise is not here this morning. She is listening in on Zoom. But we're starting a series of having our neighbors round for meals and for chats. We've always chatted to them. We've always had odd, you know, uh, meeting outside the front. You know how it goes. And now we're starting to get them round. We've got four neighbors. We're not targeting. That sounds like some kind of military action. But you know what I mean. We've got four neighbors, uh, two on one side, two on the other. And we're going to invite them round. We're going to sit and chat. You can pray for us today. Our first neighbors are Irish Roman Catholics. And it's not going to be easy. But we're going to start the process. That's where it starts. It starts with friendship. And when you're witnessing, listen far more than you speak. Find out where the person is. Ask the right questions. Keep confidentiality. But really allow them to share with you. The important thing is when you're witnessing to really live your faith. If you don't live your faith, if you don't share your own testimony, and the two don't, don't, don't mix eat well together, then you, whatever you say next is not going to mean very much. You need to be living that faith of what it is to be a Christian. Use resources. Make, make books available. Make tracts available. We have dozens and dozens of tracts which you can take free of charge from here just to share things, share downloads, share YouTube stuff with them. 
Invite them to church activities. Just be careful. Invite them to the right activities. Uh, I've invited two of our neighbors to activities. The one was to a church service a couple of years back, the one neighbors. Uh, they came and they, they, I think it was the midnight service, I can't remember. I remember that I was, I was speaking. And uh, then we went away on holiday and they came to the next service, which I think was the Christmas Day service. And I don't know what happened, but they didn't enjoy it very much and they've never been back. And, and sometimes that will happen. I don't know why, they just chose not to. But you've got to take that first chance. Another neighbour that we have got involved in coming to the service after the uh, football, the sports reach. But the wife is Catholic and um, they haven't seen fit to come back again. But you've got to start somewhere. Share the gospel clearly when the time is right. And if you, if you hit a snag, then call us. Let us help you. You don't always have success, you see. If success means leading someone to Christ... I share with you two of my most recent failures. One was a fellow called Ray. Ray was a lovely man. Um, I played golf with Ray quite regularly. Played for a, a golf club called the Wesley Society. It's based in a Methodist church in a town not far from here. And tr- the problem is that Methodist church hasn't preached the gospel in 100 years. It's just a social club. There's no Bible preaching at all. In fact, they've, they've taken the Bibles out of the church completely. And Ray is one of those, he's a very strong member of that church, but he's not a believer. And over the years, sharing time with Ray, and uh, I remember one occasion... I met him at Maidenhead Golf Course. We weren't going to play golf that day. I said, Ray, let's just sit down and have a chat. So we had a kind of brunch together, sitting outside at the golf course. And I really got an opportunity to share the gospel with him in in some detail. And he kind of nodded his head, but I couldn't get him to the point of commitment. A couple of days later, I got the news that he went from home across the street to buy a newspaper and was knocked down by a car and he was killed. Now, I don't know whether he made that decision for Christ or not. I really, really pray that he did. But you see, our task is not to convert people, it's to share the gospel. God does the converting. We share the gospel. There's a young lady up in Manchester who I worked with for many years when I was a director of a company up in Manchester. A young lady who went through some horrific problems. Her name was Anna. And Anna left the company shortly before I did, and she had a horrendous breakup with her boyfriend, and she just went downhill. And, and, but still, she'd contact us, and we'd, we'd meet up with her when we were in Manchester, and Denise and I, we had dinner with her on one or two occasions, and we tried our best. And the last time was a year or so ago, was a long conversation with her, and I sent her a Gospel of John, and I sent her a little booklet to read. And in the end, she said, Rob, I can't make this decision. And I said, why not? She said, because you're talking about being born again. And my parents say they're born again, and they're the biggest problem in my life. If I'm going to be born again and be like my parents, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Oh, it's sad. It is so sad. Sometimes you don't don't get the success that you want, but you share the gospel. That's what you do. You just share the gospel. Sometimes you'll get a negative response. I'll never forget a young man years and years ago now when I was working for Youth for Christ back in South Africa. A young man who used to come to our clubs and to our outreach services again and again and again. And he used to knock on my door and we used to to have long conversations. But he never, 
never came to Christ, but he did say this to me. He said this to me, Rob, if I never ever come to Christ, will you still continue to be my friend? That's a real challenge. Will you still be friends, even though they say no? If there's a positive response, hallelujah, then your job really starts. Because now you've got to follow them up and disciple them and bring them up in the Lord. You see, this is the way it's meant to work. Let me tell you how it's meant to work. We have 10 people here. And in the first six months, 10 of you each lead someone to Christ. That's 20 people. In the next six months, those 20 people win another 20 people to Christ. Now we have 40. In the next six months, those 40 people bring another 40 people to Christ. Now we've got 80. And within a few years, we're buying new chairs and we're knocking the walls out of our church to make it bigger. That's how it's meant to work. That's the biblical pattern. You say, well, it's not going to work like that here. My response would be, why not? And then the church begins to really change. Not only in size, but in emphasis. We then become a school for disciples. A base for soldiers to hone their skills and receive their orders. Before being sent out on missions. Not just as a clinic for ill and ailing believers. A church does have a ministry to care for its members. Of course we do. But we are called essentially, as I've said on a number of occasions, we're essentially called to be fishers of men, not aquarium attendants. It's so easy for the church to become only a hospital for weak Christians. And we fail to see it and experience it as an outpost for sending out men and women and young people to the mission field here and across the world. And it starts with just 10 or a dozen. And I close by asking you this question. Would you be one of those ten? Would you commit to being one of those who says, I'm going to be part of that. I want to be part of that evangelism project. We're going to win people for Christ. If you'd like to be part of that ten, then make it known. We'll support you in every and any way we possibly can, in prayer and with training. I'd like you to make it a real part of your prayer life over the next week or so. Would I be one of those ten? Make it a part of your home group life constantly. Let's pray. Father, we ask your, oh Lord, just your, your, I can't think of another word, Lord, blessing, your, your, your grace, your strength, your power. I guess what I'm asking, Lord, is for a, a full dose, as it were, of your Holy Spirit to wake us up that what we are often doing is just not right because we have the greatest news in the world and we're just not sharing it. Lord, I pray that you would take this message, not my message, but your message, and implant it in our hearts so that we think more and more and more and do more and more and more for the kingdom, building this kingdom. And this we pray in the precious name of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.